talk louder. Okay, so Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament. He's one of the what they would call uh, the minor prophet guys. Um, Nehemiah is written at a very strategic time in the life of Israel. I'll give you a little bit of background before we uh, get into it. It's very important uh, that um, you understand some principles that are right through the Bible. We've been looking at the covenants that God had made, that right back to the fact of the Abrahamic covenant and God's journey with the children of Israel, who he had selected to represent him. And there was a lot of brokenness, a lot of dysfunction in these people, yet God remained faithful to his promise in the covenant that he'd made with his people. We ourselves as believers, uh, all these thousands, year, thousands of years later, are partaking in a new covenant that is connected to a lot of the old covenant principles, you know, through Jesus. When Jesus said, I am he was, his blood was part of this new covenant. He was introducing a new covenant that was connected to the old. So what had happened was Israel, who were following the covenant, um, and were disobeying God. God warned Israel, said, hey, guys, the deal is, because the covenant is where man and God, you and I, make a, uh, a deal with God where there are conditions that God says, I'll do this, this, and this, but you guys have to do this, this, and this. And if you do that, um, all these amazing blessings, you will stay in my will and good stuff will happen around you. And what had happened to Israel, they had walked away from their obligations of the covenant. They were in fact being infected or affected by the world they were in. And God had warned these people, guys, you're not following the plan. And the result of them not following the plan was that they went into uh, the Babylonian Empire uh, had attacked them and absolutely decimated, destroyed uh, the city of Jerusalem, killed many, many people, and they had dragged the inhabitants that were left, the remnant, as prisoners all the way to, the, to Babylon. Uh, Babylon had ruled over them, then the Persian Empire took over Babylon, and um, God had said previously, he had sent a prophet, Zechariah, Zechariah said, dude, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years, but I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you and you're to go back to the land of promise. So 70 years had passed and uh, Cyrus, who was then um, the king of um, the Persian Empire, somehow had an encounter with God and he sent this guy named Ezra back to Israel with a whole bunch of people fulfilling the 70 years of captivity Ezra goes back and starts to rebuild the, the temple. So the temple had been rebuilt, and this is where Nehemiah steps in. Very, uh, very interesting. Rightio. And I want to kind of lay a foundation today, and over maybe the next while, uh, build out of this understanding of the book of Nehemiah. All good? Rightio. Okay, so... Nehemiah chapter 1. I just want to read from, just cover the first six, six verses of Nehemiah. So, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of, now I practice this word, now I'm all funny. Hachaliah. Uh, it came to pass in the month of Cheslev in the, in the 20th year as I was in Shasan, the citadel. Basically, he's in the palace of the king. That Hanani one of the brethren came with men from Judah and asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, 
who had survived, remember the captivity concerning Jerusalem. So these dudes come back from Jerusalem, back to the land of captivity, and Nehemiah wants to know what's going on. Um, And I said to them in verse 3, the survivors are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress and, and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also was broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Oh, uh, verse 5. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Verse 6, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I, have sinned. Very, very important words. So here's Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer. Uh, would be in uh, close contact with this king who was a very, very powerful figure. Uh, these guys come back and they tell him the state of Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt, but the temple, the walls, the fortresses that protected uh, uh, Jerusalem from its enemies had not yet been rebuilt. And as a result of that, the enemies of Israel had total freedom to rule over, to embarrass, to shame, to destroy, to rob from the chosen people who were the people of the covenant. Nehemiah knew the covenant. Nehemiah knew he understood this promise that God had made with the children who were chosen by God to not live under and not be destroyed by their enemies, but rather to be uh, above and overcome their enemies. But this was not the case. The temple had been rebuilt, the place of worship where God and these people could meet and they could honor him and worship him. See, the temple was the place where God would meet with this nation. But the walls of protection that would keep safety, uh, that would protect the temple, that would protect the people chosen by God, called by God, who had indeed historically seen many amazing things that God had done, were no longer in existence. And not only the walls, the gates. You see, gates and walls are very important. Nehemiah knew this was a terrible, terrible thing. And he was trying to understand how come God's promises say this, yet here is the state of the nation. He had known, yes, 70 years, God, you were putting us into captivity, and then these guys had gone to rebuild the temple. But something else needed to happen. Nehemiah was so deeply moved, so broken, that the man wept as soon as he heard it. 
Because he cared for his people. He cared for his forefathers. He cared for the promises of God. He cared about God. And he cries out to God. Talks to God. And it's very interesting the language that he uses to God. So I kind of want to look at this in the parallels to you and I. See, the Bible tells me that you and I are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells me that no longer do we meet in man-made structures, but in fact God will inhabit you and I because we become the temple. You see, the temple back in the Old Testament was a place where God would come and visit and meet with these people and they would worship him and they would lift him up where they would make atonement for their sins. But the Bible in the New Testament tells me and you that you are now the temple of God for God to reside and live with you. Because you're chosen by him. You're one of his chosen people. But sometimes we need to understand that, yes, we are the temple, but it is important that we protect the temple. And see, the walls were down with Jerusalem. And it was causing terrible problem. It was robbing the people of their position in God and his promises. And I think the parallel that I want to bring today is about are your walls down? And it's a very dangerous place to be. Because when your walls are down, you are not under the protection of all the promises and this covenant God has made with you. Lots of good stuff that God has promised for us. But walls down are a very, very bad place to be. It's funny. Uh, I've had an interesting few weeks uh, on my journey with God, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, am I doing the right thing? And, and there's lots of just stuff going on in my head and, and um, whatever. And... Um, you know, I decided for myself, I'm thinking, what's going wrong? What's going wrong? So I spent some time in prayer and fasting. And um, God began to show me that some of my walls had been breached by the enemy. That some of the walls in my life that were meant to protect me were maybe not as strong as they should have been. And in fact, this enemy called Satan the devil was at work and he had been able to breach the wall and get inside of the temple of God. None of you would be like that. You're also, you know, woohoo kind of stuff. So I kind of want to look at that, you know, for selfish reasons because I want to rebuild my wall. Um, so, you know, bear with me if that's not you. But maybe it is. Nehemiah knew the covenant. Nehemiah knew there was something not right. I know the covenant. I know the promises of God. I've been doing this for a long time. You know, have a little think about life for you at the moment. Where are you at? What's going on in your world? You know, uh, do you actually understand what it means for you to be a believer and that you are in fact a temple of the Holy Spirit? that God dwells in you, that the creator of the universe is living inside of you. You know, um, what's happening? There's maybe there's some challenges and some difficulties, or maybe, you know, you're wondering why this is happening or that is happening. And I think you need to ask the question, 
Number one, have you got walls? Or number two, if you've had them, has the enemy been able to push a bit of it over and get inside? Amen? Nehemiah was a bit of a problem solver, right? Nehemiah realized a whole bunch of stuff because he was very analytical. Uh, He understood the promises of God. And I kind of want to give you three points today that maybe will help you identify perhaps there's something not right and uh, how to do something about it. Step one, you've got to know there's a problem. You've got to know there's a problem. If you don't know there's a problem, you can't fix it. If you don't understand that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and there is a whole lot of promises and awesome things about you being called by God and that he loves you and that he wants to bless your life and use you to represent him, if you don't know that, you're not going to know there's something wrong. If you don't understand that, you know, maybe some of the stuff happening around your life is not just circumstance, but there's something wrong. So you can't fix a problem till you know there's a problem. When I first worked, uh, uh, you know, before I met with God, I needed to understand there was a problem in my life and my life was in a mess and mucked up because there was some stuff missing. And it wasn't until I started to hear the Christian message and meet with Christians and people would tell me that, you know, there is a better way, that you have a problem, Keith, that I could do something about it. And so you may not know God. And you might be wondering, why is my life in a mess? Because, friend, there is a problem. And you may know God. And you may be asking the question, why You may be asking the question, why is my husband this way? Why is my wife this way? Why is my children this way? Why is my job that way? Or why am I I not getting this and this in my life? Or why am I this? Or why am I that? Because there's a problem. Number one, you've got to know you've got a problem. The best way if you are a Christian to understand there is a problem, you've got to familiarize yourself with God and his promises. I am fully adamant and fully believe when Jesus in John 10.10 came to bring me life and life in full abundance. That is my expectation of my life. My faith tells me that God, you know, remember we've talked about faith is a inner conviction. That God is good. That his promises are true. And that he wants the best for my life. I have that inner conviction. And when there are things that are going on, I want to understand why, because I don't want to be robbed of the blessings of God. Maybe you do. Maybe you just want to enjoy where you're at. Maybe you just want to let the thief and the robber steal from you. Everybody put their hands up and think, yeah, let the devil steal from me. Nobody. You must be quite smart. Got to know there's a problem. I've lost my notes. Step one, you've got to know there's a problem. If there's a problem, you've got to know why. Nehemiah 
sees there's a problem. And what he does is he goes to the one who can change the problem. But he goes to the one who knows who can change the problem a particular way. He doesn't go arrogantly or some like, you know, whatever. He starts to look inward. Inwardly. He starts to look at the enemy's doing this stuff. Why is he? And then he understands the covenant says that God will do this, this, and this. And he promises, but God also says there are conditions that if you do this, this, and this, it's all good, this will happen. But if you don't do this, this, and this, then the covenant is not going to come to pass. If you are married and your marriage is not so good, if your marriage is whatever, very easy to blame the other person. Or if you're at work and you're working in a job and it's just a pain in the butt, and it's very easy to blame your boss or your fellow workers, but maybe the problem is in what you do. Maybe if you're the husband, or you're the wife, or you're even the, the kid, maybe you're not doing the right thing. And see, um, Nehemiah begins with the process of looking inward before he begins outward. Taking responsibility. It says of um, the children uh, who lived in Jerusalem that they were in great distress. The word great distress basically means that evil or bad calamities and afflictions and harm and hurt and trouble were happening in their world. Evil was going on. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 8 through to 9, because God understands that there is, he's made this covenant with us, and he's understood that sometimes we're going to blow it, but he has made an answer in the agreement, in the deal, that will get you back to where you need to be. And that is called as we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The verse before is super interesting, though, because in verse 8 it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what I'm trying to say to you this morning, step one, is, friend, you need to look inside you. You need to see if you are the problem. You need to see if you are following the pattern God has laid down. Because if you don't, you're going to have all sorts of evil and calamities and all those kinds of things. You're going to have breaches in your walls. The Bible says we are in the world, but not of the world. That's a massive challenge. To be in the world, but not of the world. See, when you live in the world, you've got to watch out that we don't become of the world. Because when you become of the world, that's when you're not filling out these things that Jesus said that will allow you to enjoy all his good things. You see, so in your process of being in the world, it will touch you and it will try to interfere with parts of your life and pull you away from this obligation of following your side of the covenant. Am I making sense? You are in it, but not of it. And I don't know how many times, it is very easy, man. I've been married for, I always, I'm using marriage a lot now because I want you guys to have really good marriages. But you know, it is so easy at times I, I've looked and thinking, blimmin' wife. Ah, I could give you a list. Nah. <laughs> but you know, and in fact, it's not here, it's me. In fact, it's me who's the one who's not there and I'm causing trouble in my marriage or in my family or in whatever I do. 
Friend, learn if things are going wrong to look at yourself first. And if they are, follow the process that Jesus said, Lord, I confess I am the problem. I am the one who's mucking this up. You're not. See, um, Nehemiah never said, God, you're not doing your thing. What's wrong with you? Nehemiah knew to look inside. He knew God is the God of creation who will never not, he, he will never not follow what he says he's going to do. It says that there's no shadow of turning in him. There's no evil. There's no yucky. But in fact, it also tells me that he is, at his very essence, love. God is love. So he's not going to betray you. He's not going to rob you. He's not going to steal from you. The issue is us. Step one, got to know there's a problem and see if you're the problem. And if you are, 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive me for all my sins and to cleanse me from all, not some, all unrighteousness. He cleans you up. But he ain't going to clean you up unless you own it. You take responsibility. Is it you? Step two. Jesus says this. My notes are a bit all over the place because I've been all over the place week. One John five nineteen says, "Excuse me. We know that we are the children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. There is an evil one." If you don't know that as a Christian, if you don't understand that you are a Christian and you are the temple of God and that the world, and when you are in it but not of it, there's evil in it and the evil one is control of it and that he wants to exert influence, you've got to understand you've got an enemy. You understand? The enemies were coming in because there was no wall of protection. If you don't have your wall of protection, you've got to understand that there's an evil one at work who wants to cause calamity, pain, distress, and harm to you and your family. The Bible says, and again, 1 John 10, 10, oh, sorry, John 10, 10, that he has come to make your life really good. No. The devil has come to rob, steal, and destroy. Sorry, I was tricking you. So, friend, you are naive. Number one, if you don't, Take responsibility. Number two, that you don't understand you have an enemy. And in fact, he is after you. And that the world is this place where he is at work. He's the one in control of it. That's what the Bible says. He is the one over the world. And you know what else it says? It says the world will hate you. The world will hate you. I don't want you to get some kind of perverted sense of You know, my neighbor is is after me to kill me or whatever. You know, there's crazy Christians who who, um, overemphasize this truth. And, you know, in fact, often I've met those kinds of people and, in fact, they're they're the problem, but they think everybody else is because the world, and they use this scripture as an excuse. But he is after you. He He hates you, man. And even more, 
Any of you who are on our leadership team or in parts of leadership or you're serving God or you want to stand up and mention Jesus, friend, you are becoming a bigger target. You know, when you stand up and you preach from this pulpit, you are dumb if you don't know he don't like it and he's going to come and try and kick your butt and pull you away from the promises of God. You understand? You know, and I'm not... Friend, we need you to pray for us. Because he's a scumbag. Oh, there you go. Listen to this, John 17, 14. I need to check the time. I have given them your word. This is Jesus talking to his mates, the dudes who are going to carry on the 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 mission and commission of God who he had selected, who were really quite hopeless people. And he's gathered them together in the last week of his life with them. And they're hanging out and he's praying a prayer aloud, which is recorded by John. You know, why was that? You know, you've got to understand, Jesus is trying to teach people stuff about how he talked to God. Often you will hear him say, I'm doing this because I want you to understand something. So he's praying a prayer that he's doing it in front of them because he wants them to understand some things. And for you today. John 17, 14. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. The word hate is a real interesting word because it's not the same as what we would think it would mean today. You know, if I hate you, you know, we, we think particular things. But the word hate here describing the world actually means a different thing. And it's original language. It actually means to detest and persecute. Super interesting. So the Christian is going to be detested for their stand and persecuted as well. I've got to tell you, living in Australia today, you know, um, there is a lot of hate to test, to testing for us because of what we believe. And in fact, it is beginning to move into a place called persecution. You understand? The world will hate you because you're not of it. Friend, you've got to stick into this pattern to be not of it. But when you become of it, you're in that place where the enemy is the boss. And you get out of where you are not of it. And you get out of where the walls come from that protect you. In the world, not of the world. Got to know the problem. Am I the problem? You have an enemy. Know that he is after you. How do you rebuild your wall? How do you rebuild the wall if you are not, you got these breaches or you don't even have one at the moment? Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I want to get out of being in it and be of you. Confession. Take responsibility. Realize you are fighting a spiritual battle. I'm dumb sometimes because 
you know, I forget. I forget he's after me. Step three, and that is found in this John 17, uh, 14 thing when he's talking to his mates who are going to carry on. I love it that Jesus said, I call you friend because you know me and you know what I want to do. I'm a friend of God. I am a friend of God because I know him and I know what he wants to do. Are you a friend of God? How cool is that? I love my friends. I'm quite loyal to my friends. Uh, I'll do lots of things for my friends, my greatest friend being my wife. Um, When you slip into the zone of being this friend of God, that is just such the most amazing thing. He will not ever forsake you or leave you because you're his friend. He will not betray you because he's your friend. He wants the best for you because he's your friend. Friend of God. So he's talking to his friends. I have given them your word. I have given them. Why did he say that? In the context of them being in the world but not of the world. In the context that the world will hate them. In fact, the world will detest them. In fact, the world will persecute them. Because, friend, the beginning statement is what remedies the problem of persecution and being detested. And of your walls. How do you build your walls to protect yourself from this evil one who has control of the world? Because it is through the word of the risen Jesus Christ. See, the word is this powerful weapon. Terry gave a very good scripture this morning about God's word. Was it 2 Timothy 3.16? Something like that, was it? I would quote it to you, but I'll probably quite get it wrong. But 2 Timothy 3.16 basically says, man, this word that you've given us, it protects me. It convicts me. It keeps me in the right place. It is powerful. I have given them your word. And here's the thing, most Christians don't understand that. Most Christians don't take the time to understand, friend, reading the Bible is not some kind of religious act. Understanding the words of Jesus is not kind of some kind of religious thing that you have to do that's boring and, and, and just destroys you. Reading the word, friend, builds the walls of protection that will keep you in the zone of being this temple of God. Oops, spitting, excitement. Because the word is what he made the earth with. Because the word is this powerful thing because it is the voice and unction of the mind of creation. I have given them your word. Romans 12 too. You know, uh, man, God, I'm so thankful because I'm the biggest bonehead sometimes. And man, when I was, before I knew him, seriously, very pathetic, mixed up idiot. And you know, his grace, way back then, I fell in love with his word. I fell in love with the unction of God because I realized, man, this stuff is what I needed to hear. This stuff has built walls of safety around my life. This wall, this word that has built these things of safety has allowed me to be in the temple of God and be in relationship with him and watch his protection outworked. Romans 12 too. 
says this, be not conformed to the standards of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that he may prove that, so that you may prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. Super interesting scripture. Like I said, early on, I, 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 I'd done this thing where, man, I, just, I was just so hungry. Where are you going? Well, she just said five minutes. I thought I annoyed her. I don't know if I'm going to obey that. She's the boss. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In it, but not of it. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the temple, friend. The temple is your cardia, your inner person, where your will and emotion uh, exist and where your choices come from. Be not conformed to the standards of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, and I, I want to get in later on. I'm not going to do it today because I've got five minutes. Three. Because <laughs> there's a thing with walls. Walls have to have gates. And I love this thing in Nehemiah because oh, just to whet your appetite maybe. In the wall that they built, they had to build the gates as well because gates are super interesting things because gates allow things to come in and go out. And there was the gates for the sheep and there was also a thing called the refuge, refuge, refuse gate. Think about the refuse gate was all the rubbish had to go out. So when you build the walls, you've got gates to bring the good stuff in but there's a gate to get the rubbish out. Because you imagine cities that are walled and you just let the rubbish build up. I think that's quite good. But I won't go there today. I'm down to two minutes. Renewing your mind, my friends, is building walls of protection around your Cardia, your inner person, where you live and reside, the you who you are, where your spirit resides. So casting out, stuff's got to go. Renewing is rebuilding the wall of protection with the word of God. Does that make, you know? I'm looking at that clock and that tells me I've got five more minutes. James 4, 7. Terry's an elder, Pekka. Dan, you're an elder. Come on. Oh, who said that? Jan, you are a woman of God. James 4, 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. See, you remember? Submission to God is when I... When I'm out of kilter with his plan over here, submission means to submit back into his promises and his word. Submit yourself again to the truth, the word of God, which will set you free. Resist the devil is basically staying inside the right walls. Because, you, you know, um, and I'll, like I said, I'll get into it in a few more weeks. Um, submit to God, resist the devil, and what happens? He will... He's got to go if you follow the pattern. Own it. Confess it. Be honest with yourself. Stop blaming everybody else. 
I'm sorry, God. I understand that there is an enemy who is after my soul. Help me to be aware of it because we fight not against flesh and blood but about against pr- spirit. Yeah, that one. I'm done. I just want to inspire you and encourage you. Get into the book of Nehemiah. Get into the Bible. But get into the book of Nehemiah because I'm blown away at the moment where I'm with this. I've been in this about a month. And um, there are so many parallels to our lives. The covenant is true. God's promises are true. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless your family. He wants you to reside in safety and have a a protection from the devil. But you've got to follow your part in the deal, the covenant. Join Join with me as I pray. You know, Lord, I am astounded continually about the answers you hold to life. I am astounded continually when I reflect on you about how good you are and that you are with me, you are not against me. And Lord, this morning for each person that is listening to this message, God, I pray that they would take responsibility, that we would take responsibility and be honest when we step out of your plan and the truth that sets us free. And we would confess our sins to the one who forgives. And God, bring a new understanding that we fight not against flesh and blood. Give us a thirst and a desire for the word that you have given us that builds the walls of protection around our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.